0: This is Strange Assembly, episode 286, Gen Con Online. I'm Chris Stevenson, and here with me today are Jay Earl. Hello! And Mike Cook. What's up? And this is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast here today to talk to you about what is normally four massive days of tabletop gaming, but instead ended up being four days of gaming online, because welcome to 2020. Thanks, I
1: hate it here. Right.
0: Gen Con has a, a shirt you can buy, which of course you have to buy online, because you couldn't be at actual Gen Con. From Offworld Designs, who makes the the shirts, and it's got... Uh, a picture of two 20 sided dice, each with the one turned up, and it says 2020. Just roll with it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that? Trying. Yes, accurate. Just, yeah, like, there you go. There you go. But the three of us did Gen Con online activities to differing degrees and different sorts of things. And so, just like. I, of course, had to do Gen Con Online because I do normal Gen Con, and it just wouldn't be right to not. Uh, we always have an episode, or usually multiple episodes, after Gen Con. And so talking about Gen Con this year is not going to be the same as talking about Gen Con in prior years, but we are going to do it. It is totally only going to be one episode, though, because it's not the same thing. So for me, Gen Con Online was almost entirely playing role-playing games on Roll20 and other online platforms. Generally speaking, what did the two of you do with Gen Con Online? I
2: did mostly Panels and True Dungeon.
1: Yeah, I mostly just watched streams. I don't think I really did anything other than streams and buying things.
0: Well, I gotta tell you, Gen Con and the vendors at Gen Con are very happy that you still bought stuff from (laughs) So, like I said, for me, Gen Con Online was mostly role-playing games, and the one thing that I... that was a little different this time than usual what role-playing would be at Gen Con, other than, you know, the obvious it's online instead of in person, was was the nature of several of the games, and partially that's because nobody had to travel. Actually, just in general, I had game masters for some of my games and players in some of my games who were not in the United States, right? You had people joining in from Europe. But the more different that I was thinking about is that you know, one of them was basically a, you know, play a game that we're planning on putting on Kickstarter in the near future, but we can do that from Wales because we don't, you know, we couldn't afford to fly to Gen Con just to run some demos, essentially. But you can do that when you're, when, when it's Gen Con online. I also, this was, I, I hadn't realized it up front, but this was, I guess, effectively my first time playing with a professional game master, because I just was thinking of it in terms of like, oh, sure, you're signing up for Gen Con events. Some of those have prices, some of them don't. I'm not too worried about that. But two of my tables were actually people who did, you know, either just flat out did professional game mastering, or I think did some professional game mastering along with, you know, an actual play podcast thing where they, it's a group of them that that do it professionally. And that was just interesting. Has either of you done online or in person any any sort of thing with a professional game master i have never asked <laughs> to be frank
2: i mean as someone who has gm'd you before i'm only a little offended <laughs> <laughs>
0: well no i mean it's it's very much a thing now no, don't get me wrong i don't think that there's a ton of people doing it but yeah i mean there are people who consider it to be ridiculous and outrageous gming is supposed to be a labor of love but you know it is work and uh, it is still kind of weird it wasn't weird in this setting because it was just a one-shot and I literally I hadn't even realized in advance what was going down I think it would be a little bit more weird if you were doing it in person where you're kind of used to the game master being a friend or acquaintance just like all the players are Eh, but, you know, it's the same sort of thing. If I'm willing to pay 10 bucks or whatever it was to play a game at Gen Con, why would I not be willing to do that to play it in some other context? If, you know, you know, like, we're now semi-guaranteed that we're going to have a competently run adventure with a GM who shows up and... Everyone else could just be free to focus on on having more fun with less work. I don't know.
1: GM is is also quite a bit of work, so having that be compensated is also kind of nice and probably helps prevent some burnout.
2: Yeah, but if I do that, how am I going to get stories for RPG horror stories subreddit? That you know.
1: You can still have those. Oh,
2: okay, you good.
1: Still have those.
0: If you have the bad professional GM. <laughs>
1: Well, also, players are a lot of that, too.
0: And I think a lot of that is online still, just because it's, I mean, frankly, it's a lot easier to get a group of people who is interested in paying for such a service if you have the wider net of online, which I I guess this is more of an ending thought sort of thing, but we're we're kind of in there again in in real versus online. I don't want to bag on Gen Con Online because it was what it, it could be. I gotta say though, the I enjoyed myself at GenCon online, but to some extent, my main takeaway from it was just reminding me how much I miss role playing in person. Yeah, <laughs> like with a consistent group of people where you all get together and hang out, and I mean it's it's always a thing with with Gen Con one shots that you're not gonna have the ongoing story aspect of it, but there's there's a real thing about not having the people there. And and out of all the stuff that I, the sessions that I did, there was only one of them that actually used video. I, and, and just that, I know from my personal experience now, my, you know, COVID-19 forced experience in converting existing tabletop role-playing into online, it's, it's, so different, even within the online world, at least for me. It's so different with, like, whether or not you can see people or not. And I know some people who don't even they do not even do voice, right? You just get together at a specific time and do it on a forum, which seems even more divorced for me from the social experience. I also
2: remember the 90s and trying to D&D online in the 90s. Well, and play
1: by post, feels like it's slightly different like you know play by post when you have other options is just something you can do when you know you have time for it or or it's another game you can fit in
0: yeah yeah I mean to me play by post is the sort of thing where like you use it for like a persistent world right? or a very slow moving thing rather than a let's set aside four hours on Saturday to all sit on our computer and text at each other not that I did anything like that here, but and and part of the reason why none of it was video. I mean, I guess I, I guess I could have been, but like when you're a lot of these were done on roll twenty, and it, if you're doing it on roll twenty for something like a Power by the Apocalypse game, like really you're just using roll twenty as a glorified dice roll. You could use Discord if you wanted, right? And in fact, that's what a lot of them used roll twenty for the map. And then discord for voice but that that was the sort of biggest impediment to video for something like dnd or pathfinder is that you really have to have a map out there and you usually don't have enough space on your screen for like the web browser with roll 20 to see the tactical map and be able to see all the the people
1: also, a uh, roll twenty allows you to ma- manipulate things on the map, which is not really something that's easy to do on Discord.
0: Yes, roll twenty allows you to manipulate things on the map, but again, I'm I'm talking about those were games where there is no map, there is no manipulation. I mean, you you couldn't possibly do Discord D&D or Discord Pathfinder, or at least not to me. I know that there are people who play without a map. I don't I don't know how you keep track in your head of the relative position of things in a system where it matters without having it out on a map to some extent. It doesn't have to be a fancy map, but I got to have some sort of visual depiction. But the one game that we did play that used video was a session of Monster of the Week, which is a Powered by the Apocalypse game that I had not played before. And so I was like, ooh, I had been wanting to check that out. And I see that someone is running sessions of it at Gen Con Online, so I'll sign up for one of those this game was run by one of the members of the crit show podcast so right they have an actual play podcast that's monster of the week and uh, and a variety of things that go around with that but it was the one that I had that was video and I don't think it's a coincidence that right that's the one that was that felt the most like a a normal gen con session would have felt because I've not just the Gen Con, but other ones too. I've done a bunch of Powered by the Apocalypse one-shots. And if you're with the right group of people, they can be really good. We had a really good time at this one. It would have been... I find that those games work better with four or five people at the table. We ended up with three because somebody didn't show up. But it still it still went well. I think the video helped with that. But they do a Monster of the Week. having Speaking now from position of playing it, but not having read you know read out the whole book or something it's think of things like x-files or buffy where there's you know some sort of supernatural paranormal stuff out there and you're playing people who are looking into it i guess the crit show has their own established world so if you were a fan of the show you would have been like "Ooh, we're playing in the world of the show i had no idea i mean i i (laughs) so but the voice and video work for that, but for that sort of game, right? you don't have a map for a Powered by the Apocalypse game. For that, you're using Roll20 for the video and voice and the, the die roller. Now, the die roller actually is a little nice. I guess one thing that you get with Roll20 that you don't get in Discord is the built character sheets. So you can just have your character sheet where you click on the move, and then it will not only will it roll the dice for you, but it automat- it knows what the dice to roll are for your character for that move and then when it displays on the screen it already has built in who the player is who's rolling the dice what the name of the character is what move they were doing and then what the the result of that role is so you know if you roll a four it, it actually has a reminder don't forget to gain experience <laughs> built into the or don't or mark experience or you know whatever but like i said that really was most of mine and i'll i'll pop back around later and talk about some of the other specific games. But let's... But Jay, you said you attended some seminars. Did you find anything particularly nifty in your seminars? Were these companies saying this is what we're announcing, or some of the how-to stuff? I know you usually do crafting things. Did you? Did yes. you try to do any of that this year?
2: <laughs> I actually did do some crafting on Sunday. So yeah, one of the... One of the advantages because everyone is at home this year is one of the crafting people that I've done in previous years is does sewing stuff and basically they realized long ago it is super obnoxious to bring actual sewing machines but everyone's at home they presumably have their sewing machine so me and my girlfriend took a a learn how to quilt course that uses the sewing machine a lot so that was pretty cool since Again, there was a guarantee that you actually could have your sewing machine with you. Then, on top of that, we also did... Going into it, based on the description, it was not quite the panel that I was expecting. It was, uh, I believe it was called, It's 2030, What Have the Past 10 Years of Gaming Looked Like? And I went into that expecting that to be a, you know, prognostication of... It was a bunch of smart game designers. I was expecting them to talk about big predictions for the next 10 years, what trends they see coming up in gaming. And there was some of that, but more it was just an improv comedy show about making fun of gaming trends and being like, hey, remember in 2023 when all the games were zombies and then the zombie apocalypse happened and everyone was like, oh, that's too soon. Uh, stuff like that so it was was a fun amusing show but it was not quite what i was expecting it to be and then also did another panel that was talking that that was actually what i thought it was going to be which was talking about how to do puzzles in your game without completely derailing your mostly rpg but board games too and how to how to do it in a way that is interesting Without getting into the situation, you know, with so many RPG puzzles where the players are just completely lost and don't know what to do, and start just breaking things.
0: Okay, so let me ask you, because we've we've talked about this problem on the show before. What's the answer? What What did you learn?
2: Well, there were there wasn't a an one answer, but uh, un- curses. Yeah, no. So some of the good advice that I took away was a. Have triggers for dice rolls that your character can make that will give clues. So, like, if you're doing a cooking-based puzzle, have it that they can do a skill check about cooking that will let you drop hints. Also, just playtest... This was specifically for more, like, published works rather than your home game, but playtest the puzzle where... You you give the playtesters all the information you're going to give and step back and watch how they solve it, and that can give you clues and insight into where confusion is, where you need to, to add stuff, add hints to the puzzle. And of course, the there's always the advice, steal. Obviously, you don't want to do this if you're publishing, but for your home game... There's no reason to invent your own puzzle from whole cloth. There's tons of puzzles out there that you can find online. Somebody joked, "Just Google puzzles for kindergartners and you can probably find a dozen or more good puzzles you can use on your your D&D characters."
0: I don't know why our D&D characters in one of our sessions did finally end up solving a riddle. Although I have to say it was weird because I, I guess I immediately came up the answer and I said, no, no, that can't be right because it doesn't fit this part. <sighs> you know, like 15 minutes later of learning other information uh, in other ways, uh, that turned out to be the right answer.
1: <laughs> you know, it's funny. I also started some quilting at the start of the pandemic thing or like closer to the beginning of it. Was it about squares or was it about like putting the whole quilt together?
2: So I actually did two different quilting panels. The first one was, here's how to go from nothing to a the front side. And mm-hmm. then the other one was, take that front side that you already made and make it into a full quilt square.
1: Right, the backing and the trim.
2: Yes, with backing and inner and trim and all that good stuff. Right, right. So yes, yes, I now at this point have a fully made square of a quilt.
1: Nice i I have similar <laughs> I've got the nice. rest of it cut out. I just haven't sewn it together and thrown it together yeah it's it's more fun than I was expecting. It's very challenging depending on the pattern
2: oh it definitely is it was it was very interesting they They gave us a very simple pattern, but she was talking about some of the different so this is this is if you've ever wandered the gen con vendor hall, she has a booth full of quilting stuff and a lot of it is pixel quilts because that's what's appealing to nerds and so like if you've seen a triforce quilt that's her booth and yeah it was interesting talking about how some of some of the patterns are much more simple than other patterns but because it's she's doing this pixel style it's all very blocky and that makes it a lot easier than some of the other fancy quilt patterns you'll see out in the wild
1: yeah, well it's also a little bit weird, right? Cuz if you're if you're going to do something like cross stitching, you can basically finish that yourself. But with a quilt, you basically either have to have a long arm or have to go pay someone to finish backing it for you, which is a little <laughs> it's a little different. Yeah.
2: Yeah, there was definitely a point where she was like, "Oh, you need this specific foot and you can just use your normal foot if you don't have that, but that can break your machine. So you should probably get it if you're going to do anything more than your one square. Right. So that's a thing. Yeah.
1: Your podcast is now a sewing podcast. Sorry to tell you, Chris <laughs> <laughs> feature. I, I was, feature. I was
0: thinking if, if my, if I got my spouse, she might have more to contribute <laughs> than I would on, on this subject. I, I got to tell you, I, uh, I know nothing and I, okay i don't have to know stuff about everything but i mentioned the the D game that was the other one that has a it turns out is a professional it's TabletaleGames.com, and i i just signed up for it because uh, it was one of the two DD things that were set in one of the magic settings which i get a kick out of i did not get into the one that was set on ravnica so this was Theros? Yes, this was Theros. And honestly, I don't know how much it matters for a one-shot, but in the long run, I think that Theros has more potential as a and d setting than Ravnica does. I I get, I mean, Ravnica, I, I think is cooler as a Magic the Gathering setting, but there are kind of problems with it as a and d setting because you really want p- to let people play anybody from any of the guilds, and that doesn't really make a lot of sense a lot of the times, given the character of some of the guilds. I mean, pretty much definitionally, if you're Rakdos, you're probably a character I'm going to ban from the table, because you're just, like, chaotic, chaotic. That's their whole shtick, is to be disruptive. I don't want that character at the table. You, Anyhow.
2: You don't want the somebody from the Double Agent Guild to be in your game?
0: That also is a problem. Demir definitely is a problem. Their whole shtick would probably be the like, "Oh, I'm really doing such and such." To play, I and mean, I I usually hate that character in something like D and D in a campaign setting. Not the same thing in a one shot, but in a long run thing, having one player who's really out to sabotage everybody else. Uh, it's it's not that you can't mess things around but you you it's a lot easier to be like okay we've got one azorius character and one selesnia character and one boros character and then like maybe we can fit an oddball in but the rest of the party is made up of people whose guilds are more of the like good and order sort of like the, it, the thing rather than the we're actively trying to destroy and tear it all down clans I'm like oh I'm like, there's, it's really hard, like, why are the girl person and the Azorius person working together on a long-term basis? Like, one of them is dedicated to destroying the other. Actually, they're both kind of dedicated to destroying each other's lifestyle. It's, like, <laughs> like uh... Because they're, it, it's not like having somebody with a weird ancestry or something where, like, okay, that doesn't define you. What guild you're a member of is a philosophical decision on the part of the character. And so you really... It's really weird to have, like, a playing-against-type member of a guild, because then why are you even in that guild? Well,
1: I mean, that's the whole point of being in Guild Demir.
0: Is that you're playing against type?
1: Well, yeah, but that playing against type is playing type. It's kind of like being a scorpion in a lot Uh, of ways.
0: Well, yes. And, of course, scorpions are a perpetual, you know, before Spider came along to take the title of Problem Child... You know, Scorpion were like the problem child in an L five R RPG campaign, right? You, anyhow, that's, we're getting far afield. So I, I had fun in the Theros game. It was a, I mean, it was a one shot. It was a, a pre written. Uh, of course, it was a it's a D anD D thing. It has to be pre written. We were playing with the author, and the, so this was something I I think that was planned to be published at, at some point. So it was set in satessa which I liked. So that was sort of interesting, and it gives you the the nice fun of having you know stuff built into the backstory where you can be like "Ooh, i remember that or especially like i remember the card for that person (laughs) i think i just poached magic card art to use for my token in world 20 that was fun so that was table tale games but what what did you check out on the streams front at gen con online mike
1: a lot of it honestly was the uh, board game geek Stream because they had like three streams that were basically running not a hundred percent of the time but you know fairly consecutively they had like the main stage I think like a a side stage I can't remember what the second stream was and they had the board game geek stream and the board game geek geek stream was mostly them bringing in developers to talk about whatever game they were trying to push so there were a couple panels I was interested in in the main stage and a secondary stage but like. The Double Clicks concert was one of the things I watched, and um, things with developers that I was already interested in was another thing. But for the most part, I, I kind of stuck with Board Game Geek. Not the least reason why, just because it was more consistent. Like, they had breaks between the games, but they basically didn't ever really stop, where there was definitely stops and gaps in between the other two. And I also, like... I went to Gen Con in air quotes, just meaning that I part of it was I took some time off because I just hadn't taken any time off for the year. Um, And I just wanted to make sure I actually did that. It was pretty easy to just work through it because of my working situation. So, you know, I I did go to Gen Con, but also like I got the digital ticket and then did not get anything else. And I probably should have because I didn't realize until like towards the end that they were using that to like try and figure out how popular things were. You sh- I feel like you should be using stream numbers for that rather than tickets, but I, you know, they're adapting that It's something entirely new, and from my understanding, they had to do it in a relatively quick turnaround.
0: And I will throw out there that I, if I'm not mistaken, these the things that like just anybody could watch the stream anyway, you could get tickets to some of these things through Gen Con. They were yeah. free tickets. So Gen Con was not charging people just yeah, no, no, the, it, it, it was sake. just
1: for tracking who was going to what, which is, you know, something they do. At all. Like, I know Dragon Con does the same thing, right? Because every time you go to a panel, they're like, okay, well, fill out your survey so that they know that, you know, people were here and that they liked it and whatnot. So we can... You know they they use that as part of determining what rooms people get or whatever, and hopefully Gen Con will be physical next year, so they're going to want to do something like that for for next year, I'm sure.
0: Oh please please let it be physical next year. I'm not because I'm not we're not getting anything else this year. It's no, all, it's all going to be gone. Well, well it, Pax Plugs is done. Nothing else is going to happen.
1: It, it you know to your point earlier, uh, I've done some online role playing as well. It, it, you know part of the reason why we still do tabletop is that you know, physical, communal aspect to it, right? It's getting together with friends or people that you really like to sit around and play stuff, right? There's plenty of video games and whatnot that fill that role. But, you know, part of the reason why a lot of people come to board games is to actually have that physical in-person connection because the world especially is already pushing us to be detached from each other, right? That's been a big rallying cry whenever you hear personalities try to describe tabletop to people who are maybe not you know already in it as a way of explaining why people are so into it so there's definitely something i think there is something lost right like it's not complete not a complete wash or whatever but you definitely do feel that missing you know it's not quite the same as walking through gen con's game hall seeing someone playing something you've been wanting to play and seeing that they're not at full capacity and just stopping by and quickly, you know, politely asking, hey, do you mind if I join in on this? And I don't think I've ever had anybody tell me no unless they were, like, waiting for someone to come join them to start the game or whatever. And even then, they'll usually be like, oh, hey, if you want to watch and see how we're playing it or whatever, that's fine. There's just that community aspect that it's not quite the same as just chatting with people. At the same point, more people probably got to participate, so I kind of hope that there's some aspect of the online stuff that they keep rolling forward. Because that was really nice like gen con gen Kit has been a thing for a while, and so giving more people more access to this type of stuff, even if they just like stream more panels or whatever whatever they're able to I think would be a cool thing,
0: even just some of the game stuff, especially since I'm doing the 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 role playing thing like i like I do every year at Gencon, I played some Pathfinder, and I don't actually have to wait for gen other than the special I don't actually have to wait to Gencon to do that there are just People, especially now, I mean, there were were some people before, but especially now, there are people who just run the Pathfinder Society stuff online. There isn't any reason I can't go on the website right now and look to see if there's, like, a game next weekend that I could do that's got an opening. It's just, I don't really think of it in the same way. Honestly, to some extent, the fact that it was my Gen Con let me kind of block off time here at home and be like, no, I'm at Gen Con, go away, (laughs) to the... (laughs) <laughs> right. right. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I
1: did a lot of that. So I think main things I was doing was just basically looking at new games. I, I was, you know, certainly interested in games that are coming out that I, w- I was interested in anyways, because they had the, they tried to do the in-flight report the day before, you know, Gen Con, which is a pretty normal thing for them. Usually it's like the first day and, and they just ended up doing the night before, but they have had so many problems.
0: And that's the Fantasy Flight Games uh, show.
1: Right, but they had so many problems that they ended up just having to cancel it. The stream just kept going down for whatever reason. So they ended up just recording it and putting it up on YouTube uh, a couple hours later. So, like, I'm a big Fantasy Flight person generally, so that that was a lot of the information I was interested in. Um, Although I think they only announced, like, two new games. Anyways, and one of the things they announced was Descent, but they didn't even, like, announce it announce it they just showed the big box and it was like a an after whatever and they haven't said anything i don't think about it since then so and there's some stuff like the outer rim expansion has kind of been softly confirmed and they didn't talk about that so that was like whatever but like i i watched forgotten waters from platak games i watched a, some playthrough of that and that convinced me to go ahead and buy that and then since i was getting it from them they had some kind of deal where if you did like a hundred bucks you got free shipping so i got another one of their games quirky circuits because it also looks similarly fun or whatever and i think it was like just over 100 bucks you know in free shipping and i got another small game i got was hey cutie which is like a dating game i it seems like it's it's somewhat similar
0: to the jane Eyre. was it jane Eyre? no it's uh jane Austen. you're thinking it's going to be a pride and prejudice based games i'm sure yes Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right, because it's Marrying Mr. Darcy, right? Is that what you're thinking of?
1: Yes, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's similar to Marrying Mr. Darcy, but it feels like there's a little bit more strategy. But still, like, a lot of the people that liked that game, I think, will like this game because Hey Cutie is basically, they were inspired by all of the the dating games that have been coming out lately on computer. Like, a lot of the weird, quirky ones, that's kind of what their inspiration was for this. And I thought the mechanics were also pretty interesting. You know, I ended up picking it up. I I like, you know, supporting smaller developers like that as well. But it felt like there wasn't a whole lot new that was getting announced. Like, a lot of it felt like, okay, this is stuff we already knew about and stuff that was planned. You know, it may not be stuff that I personally knew about. So that was part of what I was looking for on that channel, was, like, trying to scope it out and see, see what was coming out that I might be interested in. And actually, I got Gloomhaven. I had it delivered that week. Jaws of the Lion? Yeah, it draws a line. So I ended up ordering that, and so it showed up one of the days of Gen Con. So I was also like playing that by myself, while watching streams. So, or I was punching it out, and I'm like, well, this is actually not very far off from Gen Con because punching stuff out for like multiple hours is usually a big part of my Gen Con.
0: This is more of an after Gen Con thing. Yeah, I I usually, especially because I do the math trade. God, I love the math trades. Again, another thing that I'm uh, not going to get to do this year. But uh, yeah, usually when I come home from Gen Con between the math trade and purchase new stuff, I'm like an entire car trunk full of stuff, and I bring it all in and it get and I load it all up on the table in our game room and it's just just piles and piles and piles of games and, and boxes and uh I think my spouse joked that should we, you know, clear the table off so I can just pile random games on there and pretend that I I'm like stop being mean. <laughs> I <I'd... laughs> Uh most of my Gen Con punching is post Gencon. I have to say I, I, I know there are plenty of people who like buy the game and then play it right at Gen Con. I usually don't because I like I've got 1,700 other things to do. I'll play it when I get home. I have to play the next game, so I can decide if I want to buy that game too, you know? Get another demo. Yeah, so I, I mentioned Pathfinder. I I did that like I always do. That's all Pathfinder Society stuff. Usually they take over the Sagamore Ballroom. Not so much a thing this time, but almost all of it was on World 20 I did have one game that was on Fantasy Grounds, which I had no idea how to use. But the, the GM was understanding. He was like, I, I understand if I run on Fantasy Grounds, I have to assume that I have to explain how to use Fantasy Grounds to all of the <laughs> players. Right. Uh, I did not get to play Starfinder. I, now, I partially that was my choice. I like Starfinder, but I like Pathfinder better. In an environment like this, it's literally, I'm choosing one or the other, right? There's, at, at any given time that there's a Starfinder game running, there's a Pathfinder game, and vice versa. But I originally was going to play in the Starfinder special, at least, like the big annual thing that they have, the where they have like a bunch of, no, normally you're all in the Sagamore Ballroom, and the whole ballroom is full of all these people at the different tables, all playing through the same adventure and like accumulating successes that influences how things overall go for everybody that kind of thing and I was originally signed up for that but I had basically a demo before that that was it's, it's the strangest things I feel like Gen Con's like gaslighting me or something it was originally scheduled as 12 to 2 and then the Starfinder thing started at 2 and I know that it was originally scheduled only to be 12 to 2 because Gen Con won't let you buy overlapping tickets. I know because I accidentally bought something something was on the wrong day and so I couldn't buy other things and I had to try to figure out what was going on I'm like oh that's on Friday not on Thursday that's why I it's not letting me buy the Starfinder ticket actually but I finally I got my Starfinder ticket I had my ticket to the game before that so they must have changed it at some point from 12 to 2 to 12 to 3, because there was this conflict all of a sudden. And normally, I would have just been like, okay, I'll dump that. I mean, this is a basically a demo of a new game, but I wanted to check it out, but I it's more, more important to me to play in the Starfinder special. But I couldn't, because that was the one thing at Gen Con that I was scheduled to do with my 9-year-old, because we were actually going to in some way, shape or form, we never got around to figuring out the details. This was going to be his first Gen Con this year, physically. It probably would have been something like I had him there for a day and then he was at my mother's or something for the other days, because I alright, I can't I can't drag a nine year old around Gen Con for fifteen hours a day. But this was scheduled to be this and we had signed up and I had signed up for this because it was also originally listed as an everyone six plus game instead of a Teens Plus game. And so they changed that, too. And so I ended up having to cancel Starfinder because the option was to cancel the thing with my kid. And you'll notice that I have not said the game, what the game was yet. And that's because the volunteer who was the GM for this game was atrocious. It's not uncommon to have, like, a not great experience where things don't work out. Like, usually, like, maybe some of the other players aren't great, or the GM gets stuck with a game they're not as familiar with the system with if they're demoing for a company that has a variety of games but this one was just bad and like I was getting messaged from another player going can we just quit this but I didn't want to drop out of it because it was like the one thing that my kid got to do and I don't know so that's really neither here nor there or something but I didn't get a play finder, and I got this now Jay you also mentioned doing True Dungeon although that was which is normally something you do every single year repeatedly at yes. Gen Con. Although this year it was, like, not technically part of Gen Con? Or, and how do you even do True Dungeon without physically being there?
2: Yeah, so it's not technically part of Gen Con, and they're doing a bunch more throughout the year. They've, they have adapted to the whole coronavirus nonsense. So They're doing virtual True Dungeon this year, where basically... So True Dungeon, if you haven't listened to our podcast before, is sort of LARPing meets D&D meets a puzzle room where you're physically in this room and you're solving puzzles or attacking monsters. So the story here with the virtual True Dungeon is your party is controlling a mechanical golem, which is the camera that they have in their uh, setup in, Il- in uh, Illinois or Indiana, one of those I states that's in the middle of nowhere. So they have the dungeon set up there and they have a person controlling a camera and you watching on Zoom can tell the the golem, Hey, take that thing and put it over there and that's how you do the puzzly parts. And then the the fighting monsters bits first off the camera's just showing somebody in a costume or a prop or something that's going on and it's it's still their same production level as a as props, you just can't interact with it in the same way and so instead of usually it's these slider things where you've got a token in a thing and you slide it over to see if you actually hit the monster or not there's an app and you put all of your tokens that represent all your magical items and equipment into the app and build the character that way and then it's just a button you say i want to make a melee attack i want to make a range attack and it Gives you the the roll, and you compare that against the monster's AC, and you say, I hit, I do however much damage, and they have a DM on the other end that is managing all of that and telling you what's happening. So, I mean, it's not the same as True Dungeon, but for what it was, I was very impressed. They're keep managing to keep their quality standards intact with all of the props and all of the monsters and everything, despite us not being able to be there and actually in-person manipulate it. I mean, one of the fun things about the, the actual normal True Dungeon is they do design these puzzles where they expect at least eight, if not the full ten of you to be in there. So they'll do puzzles that really require ten people to coordinate and do something together once they figure out the trick of the puzzle. And they just can't do that here. You only have the one manipulator going. But yeah, I, I still had a great time with True Dungeon. Got another one in coming up in November, I think. They also announced some more dates if you're interested. Uh, I think tickets might have just gone on sale if you want to check it out in September and October. But yeah, that's, that was a lot of fun. It's not the same. I really hope we're able to get back in person next year, but, you know, Lemonade out of lemons.
0: Yeah. So what did I have? I had two, two more role-playing games because I'm not done yet. Let's see. I played... This is the one I mentioned earlier, which is should be on Kickstarter soon. It's called Legends of Avalon. And that's A-V-A-L-L-E-N. I'm not just mispronouncing Avalon. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, they've got a the website set up already. Their goal is to go to Kickstarter... Sometime this month, actually, and it's a it's tried it as a a Celtic Roman RPG, and it's set up in a it, it's fictionalized, so it's not actually Rome and not actually what would later become the United Kingdom, but it's it's got that made up stand-ins for those sorts of things, where you actually start out as a a villager, basically, and then. You you got and I think the way the the designer was running it and he his original idea for this thing was started out was that your the characters in order to make them more simple and introduction friendly is like you basically start out at like negative third level <laughs> and then weird stuff starts happening so instead of starting out as adventurers you start out as villagers who then go through stuff that turns you into adventurers and then you can go off and and do whatever so I was like. In this case, I was the village healer and somebody else was a farmer and someone else was Tinker and that that kind of thing. And then over the course of the, the demo session, we discovered that, oh my gosh, so magic is real. Hey, we found a like book that explains how to do that stuff. Weird. It's a diceless system. It actually uses a deck of cards for resolution where... Under a normal roll, you're pulling like a number of cards equal to your attribute, and you get to keep the two best. And the cards range from plus three to minus three, depending on what they are. But you get to do it with the normal. I mean, we were doing it on Discord, so we were just roll. You know, right? We were just typing in the thing, and it was spitting out what the answer was. Nobody was actually pulling any cards. I enjoyed playing that. That was fun, and that was it was Legends of Avalon. Uh, and I guess I. It's coming to kickstarter later this month. I mean, I I played a demo. I have no idea what the the pricing or anything is going to be on the actual game, but if you go on their website, there's more information about like what kind of characters you will be able to make and what sort of adventurers they can they can grow into. So my my character ended up being the one the magus robes and the the book that taught how to do spells. So I think I know where she was going, but you know, it's a one shot. The last role playing game I played was Root, if you wanted to kickstart this one too bad, it was a while ago. But I just realized that this is another one that the GM was a volunteer GM, but happened to be someone who it was on an actual play podcast that had like done the actual play podcast of Root that Magpie had going on around the time of the Kickstarter. It's based on the board game, right? In, in the board game, you've got all the stuff going on in the forest, and right, one player can be the cats and one player is the, the birds and then there's the normal villages. And then but you also can have the player who's the vagabond in the board game who's sort of like going around doing their own weird things off on your own. And in the role-playing game, everybody is vagabonds. Like you're not taking the role of like, I'm a soldier for the Marcus de Cat and I'm going to go out and try to conquer everybody in a war game or something like that. You're more normal sort of people who are working around the sides of this conflict and get caught up in it probably. But this is sort of in a, a weird space for me because I, I really like games like D&D or Pathfinder where it's your more traditional fantasy thing with lots of tactical stuff and, and relatively rules crunchy and i also really liked powered by the apocalypse which is generally very not rules consciously but indeed i like powered by the apocalypse best when it's usually quite rules light and like the moves that there are are much more narrowly tailored to the kind of thing that you're trying to do in that sort of game you know the moves that you have in monster hearts are different from the moves that you have in Legacy Life Beyond the the, the Ruins, or, or you know, and that sort of thing, and it's and it's because of like what it is that you're mechanically focusing on for that one. But Root falls into that category of powered by the Apocalypse games that's relatively rules crunchy. You've got like three different damage sorts of tracks. Essentially, you have to keep track of your arm, your equipment possibly breaking down. You have A variety of different combat moves right this isn't usually the powered by the apocalypse games that i have like best there's one move that's just attack somebody in monster hearts it's lash out physically in bluebeard's bride it's dirty your hands with violence which is so great i love how you can convey so much about the atmospherics of a game by what the moves are called so there wasn't anything wrong with the game it's just that for me it it seemed to fall into this world where it's i don't feel like it's the optimal use of the powered by the apocalypse system or at least it's it's not the use of the powered by the apocalypse system that most appeals to me so i'm glad that i got the chance to play it and if you're interested in being a bunch of animal vagabonds who are going around Maybe writing wrongs, maybe just having hijinks. This this game presented in this format as being—I think the GM said that this was like the least slapstick session he had had all weekend. And like, if you know me, slapstick is just not a thing I'm looking for in a role-playing game. But I don't know that that actually has anything to do with the the system. I think you could probably play it straight and serious. But you're animals, right? And you're going around the woodland. The characters are foxes and mice and birds and rabbits and it can be a relatively serious topic. There was a civil war going on, now there's this different conflict, there's industrialization and there's actually some serious topics you can work into there if you want to explore that and you're interested in the more crunchy side of Powered by the Apocalypse. So that was, that was the last of the role-playing games I, I had the chance to do. There were other ones I had wanted to try out that I didn't get a chance to do. I tried to get in a game of Cyberpunk Red. That did not work out. They all got sold out. And my schedule did not work out to get into one of the Altered Carbon demos. So I, just, I wanted to see what uh, Hunters had done with, with that. But I did have... One other board game that I I did play, but I first wanted to go that I know that Mike and I, at least, I don't think this is something Jay cares about, but feel free to chime in. But this was sort of a big rollout weekend for Renegade and Vampire the Masquerade Rivals, a new ECG, a new expandable card game that is right now as we speak on Kickstarter. I know, like I said, I know Mike and I were excited about that. So do you want to talk a little bit about that, Mike, and what you watched about it at Gen Con?
1: Sure. So yeah, I had been excited for it actually last year, last year year before. I had always known about Jihad slash VTES, uh, Vampire the Eternal Struggle, just you know, the card game. The original one from Richard Garfield, but for a long time I just never really did anything with it. And then as I've been going back through and doing ccg necromancy of just looking for like old games that i might never have gotten a chance to play before but now could possibly pick up i ran across vtes the redone one with uh, black chantry so they had uh four playable decks that you can get from drive-through card games so i got those and I-, I had played with those so many and i like i enjoyed a lot of the aspects of those games but the game itself was fairly complex and like i'm a person who, like i usually like more complex card games, but even then, it was just kind of hard to kind of understand the stuff that was going on. They actually have a new fifth edition, and I think they've been trying to streamline some of that stuff. But I saw that they had a new uh ECG or whatever, but we hadn't really seen anything about it other than a little bit of art. So I was very interested to see what Renegade Studios was going to talk about coming up to it. So I ended up watching a panel with uh, it was B. Dave Walters and the the folks from Renegade talking about the game and then I watched the Renegade crew actually play through a game of Rivals which was the first time I think it really got publicly shown you could go into their discord and then hop into one of their channels I guess and then you could request a demo and then they would come back and ping you and then they would take you onto Tabletopia where they had it installed I guess but I guess it was access locked down so only the people who are doing demos could actually access it so I watched that playthrough and I I really liked what I saw. I thought that was really interesting. So that was enough to get me to, to kickstart it when it came back up. Because it would have had to have been bad for me not to kickstart it, probably. <laughs> as much as I like Vampire for nothing else, I'm really hoping that this is successful so it will roll into my other more favored White Wolf product, which is Werewolf. And it's usually number two in the line of stuff getting made. So, And they even said in, in the developer talk for Rivals that, this system is flexible enough there's no reason you couldn't put other worlds into it or like adapt it to those things
0: yeah and the company that is making the werewolf the i I'm going to call it W5 it's not I don't think I don't know that it's actually the 5th edition of werewolf but you know W5 the new version of the werewolf role playing game to to go along with vampire is hunters entertainment and hum- hunters entertainment now I don't know precisely what their business relationship is, but they work extremely closely with Renegade, who's making this. So it would probably be very easy for them to slide that and expand it out if they wanted to do a, a werewolf thing. Anyhow, sorry, go ahead. No, right.
1: no, no, that's right. And actually, uh, B-Dave, who was one of the people, that was the person on that panel that was interviewing them. And I think a lot of folks know him from L.A. by Night, if you know Vampire at all. He's also one of the people who was working with Hunters on the new Werewolf edition. So that was pretty cool. I don't really know that I had too much beyond it. I I was really impressed by the game. I thought it felt a lot like VTES, but it felt a lot faster and a little bit cleaner. If nothing else, the base thing for me is it's much easier to understand what you're trying to do with everything. There was definitely some complexity because I don't think I saw after the Gen Con, I also saw. Another uh, gameplay video that actually had some of the people who play characters on LE by Night do a playthrough of Rivals, and I don't think I saw a single game where there were people like messing up a lot of the rules. I don't want to say messing up. Right? It's hard. It's a stressful thing. And like this, infl- I forget to kind of pay for my character. It wasn't that big of a deal, probably in the long run. But like it was, you know, there, people were constantly missing things. So th- there is definitely, you know, enough complexity where that can happen, but it still overall seemed pretty straightforward and had a lot of the same thing I look for in any, in any kind of vampire game, right? It, it has social stuff where, you know, you have kind of, you're teaming up against people, but you have secret motives. You've got, you know, vampires doing vampire things and telling each other mostly for power and fun. <laughs> vampires going into Torpor instead of just dying everybody really felt different because the agendas that you have are set what you're trying to do to actually win the game other than you can also just knock out your rival which is randomly selected from the players at the table so it's interesting to me that it definitely seems like a game that again is going to be better in multiplayer than in single player but it also is nice that it's not just going to be I eliminate people it can be like I can play Malkavian and I just want to do my schemes and have my schemes go off or I can play Ventru and I can just kind of control the board down.
0: Yeah, I pulled up the rule book and I didn't see anything about what the deck construction rules were. And it may be in a separate document. I know L5R did that. I think you've got like the basic how to play, and then you've got a separate thing that's like, okay, you want to go be serious about it, because they do want to have organized play. The base game has four clans in it, and the Avenger Room, Alcavian, Toreador, and uh, Brua. And the decks that they're default set to are single clan decks. It does specifically note that there, if you open up the separate crypt pack that has more cards that aren't in those original decks, that when you, and you start customizing, you don't have to be a single clan, but I don't know how that works. I don't know if there are reasons to be single clan or, you know, we'll just have to get into the complexities of that later. And I do honestly... Expect that we're going to get into the complexity of this. I mean, we here have oodles of history with LCGs and CCGs and ECGs and all that, and I love Vampire. So I would be really shocked if you don't end up hearing more about Vampire the Masquerade Rivals. I guess the Kickstarter delivery is intended to be December. So by the end of the year, I would anticipate more about this, maybe before then too. But yeah it'll be interesting to see how it develops and it'll I'm sure that I am sure sure that there are very very quickly going to be more clans and more cities featured because the core game you're fighting in San Francisco and there's a city deck that is basically fixed and so that everybody's fighting over that had stuff that comes out in the middle and so you could have different city decks for different cities I'm sure we'll see more clans. I guess they're going the route of like not trying to cram everything into one core box, which sometimes happens with these sort of things. You try to have like seven or eight or nine factions and it's just very hard to really support that in an initial release. It's on Kickstarter right now. It's a, I think it was only like a three week Kickstarter, but it started on like August 4th. So there's still plenty of time to go check it out. It's, I guess, standard LCG. It's not technically an LCG because Fantasy Flight owns that trademark. So but you know standard what I'll call standard LCG pricing of like $40 for a set. I believe that just that that one set has everything you need to play, although not everything you need to make, you know, multiple decks that have every single card in them that you want, but I just went in on the higher pledge level which is the game and then all the accessories and stuff which are unnecessary, like to be clear, but it's it's like a playmat for every single clan and a token bag for every single clan and a an alternate art promos and you actually get the first organized play kit. Here's a copy of the organized play kit. I don't I don't really know what I need five vampire the masquerade rivals playmats for, but that's what I'm gonna get.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's not like I don't have about forty playmats sitting over here. And it's not like I backed Seb McKinnon's thing, so I have about five more coming to me. But you know, what you can always use more, I guess. I know, like,
0: I, I have to say, my kids do get a a big kick out of playmats, though. So I don't, I don't have a ton of playmats. But I mean, with that said, I've got more than ten. And again, don't use more than one at a time. But I, I know that that is greatly dwarfed by many. Just like with dice, I, I mean, I like dice, and I've got DICE, but I don't. I try to restrain myself. What have I been going bonkers on lately? Miniatures for characters I'll never get to play. There you go. I really like good quality pre-painted miniatures. So I've been getting more of the, like the WizKids premium series ones. I mean, they're still like eight bucks each, so they're not like outrageously priced or something, but I'm not someone who's ever going to paint miniatures, but I've just been kind of, Picking those up and stashing them in the pretense that someday I'm going to play these 30 different characters in roleplay games. <laughs> Regardless, you can go for now and uh, the next couple of weeks and check out Vampire the Masquerade Rivals on Kickstarter. You're, you're gonna, if, you, if you listen to this, you're going to hear more about it, so you may as well just go get it, right? Um, I, I, although... I am not necessarily to be trusted on these things because there was zero chance that I was not going to kickstart this. I mean, it was like you said, Mike. Unless unless you watched the stream and it was a god awful, I was going to kickstart it. Um,
1: yeah, like it, it had to be like a complete mess that I had no faith in. And this was—it's actually the opposite. It, it captures the vampire pretty well in in a pretty streamlined format.
0: The other thing that I did that was not a role-playing game, it was just the one thing really, other than a couple of streams, was to play a demo of Artemis Settlement on Tabletop Simulator. Artemis Settlement is a sequel, basically, to Artemis Project, which was a game that released last year from the Grand Gamers Guild. Artemis Project was on Kickstarter. I assume that Artemis Settlement will also be on Kickstarter. At some point, they didn't pitch anything about time frame for that, but I'm just assuming it it will be at some point. Artemis settlement was, I guess, settling. I don't remember one of the moons of Jupiter. And now the settlement is there, but you're working it. You have this multi-step process of you have to bring people from Earth into your settlement, and then you move them into your hub and from your hub they can then go out and and do missions and the missions are there's a rotating set of boards and each of them has six different missions that can be undertaken and but you have to have the people in your hub to undertake a particular mission there are bonuses usually for being the only one who's trying a particular mission but ultimately then you're doing it, it's a like many games, right? You're doing resource management. You have to bring in workers, you have to move the workers, and then you use them. The primary use you have for them then is then sending them off on these missions where they turn into more workers or victory points or buildings, and then you can use the buildings to give yourself more actions to do. So maybe you've got a building that drags more workers in from Earth, or a building that lets you turn one kind of worker into two of a different kind of worker, or Buildings that are worth more victory points at the end of the game, but you have to make sure all the buildings are staffed, which gives you another thing to do with the workers you're bringing in instead of just uh, moving them over into your hub and then having them go into the assignments. I had a fun time playing the game. And that, again, that was Artemis Settlement from the Grand Gamers Guild, and I'm assuming coming to Kickstarter at some point. So that was Gen Con Online for us, at least. Like I said, I enjoyed myself at it. It partially just made me pine for the ability to do real conventions and real role-playing games in person with people, but, well, welcome to life in 2020.
1: Hey, it was the cheapest Gen Con I've ever attended.
0: That is very true, and it required a lot less travel time.
1: Yeah. I didn't miss having to try and book a hotel that was reasonably close and all the other accommodations.
0: But yes, I join you, Jay, in hoping that Next year, we will be able to resume our normally scheduled leisure activities. That would be fabulous. I got to tell you, prior to 2020, I would have been pretty surprised if you told me, Chris, you were going to spend most of the next year pining for more socializing.
2: (laughs) Right. (laughs) So Right. (laughs)
0: I just just had not really uh, thought uh, thought about it. I mean, I I live with a spouse and two children, so I have people to interact with. But it it's I need uh, yes I need more I need more the world world please fix yourself. But GenCon Online gave us a little bit, so that was nice. Thank you, GenCon Online. Uh, so you've been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to this podcast there, or you can find us on whatever podcatcher you use. We always greatly appreciate it if you leave us ratings or reviews on whatever service you use, but especially if that service is iTunes slash Apple Podcast, because that is still by far the biggest podcast aggregator. It helps new people discover the show. You can also find us on the usual social media. We are facebook.com slash strangeassembly, at strangeassembly on Twitter, and and at strangeassembly on Instagram. I'll tell you what, a gorgeous bunch of pictures of the Gen Con Convention Center and all the games there on our Instagram feed this year, right? You know? You can also reach me directly. I'm chris at strangeassembly.com. I always like to hear from you, your comments, your thoughts, your criticisms, your feedback, what have you. Also, if you super loved this show, you can find a donate button on our website or check us out at patreon.com slash strangeassembly. That's always super appreciated. But until then, for Jay Earl and Mike Cook, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming.
2: The year was literally 2020. How did it roll two ones? That makes no sense.
0: Yeah,
1: it certainly has been a critical failure.